God bless you. So good to see each and every one of you today. All of you. That's a good-looking crowd. Praise God. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is here. And where he is, there is liberty. Where he is, anything can happen. Praise God. I want us to believe that. I want us to move forward in these services expecting that. That God will do something that just blows our mind. I think he wants to. I think he desires to. But we've got... And we'll talk about that a little bit. Let's all stand. More often than we'd like to admit, when we pray for things, we really don't believe that they're going to happen. We pray because we're supposed to. We know that's the right choice, but uh, we really don't expect anything to come of it. Folks, we need to start expecting something to come of it. When we're praying to God, we're praying to Him not to check a box so that I can go take care of it myself now with a clear conscience, but so that we can receive an answer from God. That's why we pray. We give it to Him. That's why the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Because of the one we're praying to. The one that can take care of it for us. Amen. So, I'm going to pray that faith is released into this congregation today. That faith is released. That we'll believe the Lord Jesus Christ for whatever it is that He's promised. Everything that He's promised is ours. It's available to us. But we've got to go get it. We've got to claim it by faith. Lord Jesus, we worship You. We are so thankful for You and for Your so great salvation. We're thankful for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ here in this place. And we are so very thankful for the invitation that You've given each of us this morning to enter into that presence, the very throne room of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will enter into your presence with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. We will magnify the Lord our God in this place because you and you only are worthy of all worship. You and you alone are worthy of all praise to receive all glory and all honor. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I will make your praise glorious this morning. I will magnify the Lord my God in this place. In the midst of your people, in the midst of this assembly, I will worship you because you are worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus. I delight myself in the Lord my God today, and I rejoice in the God of my salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're expecting awesome things of an awesome God. I'm not going to denigrate you. I am not going to disrespect you by asking small things. Lord Jesus, you are capable of literally anything. I'm asking mighty things. I'm asking huge things of you. Things that are too high for me. Things that are impossible for me. Things that you excel at. Things that you desire to do in our lives. I pray, God, that your mind would be manifest. All of your heart, your will would be manifest in these services today. Hallelujah, Jesus. That you would meet each need miraculously and supernaturally. That as we call out to you now, here, that we would believe you for awesome things that we would believe you for the miraculous, that we would believe you for the supernatural, that we wouldn't just be saying words, that we wouldn't just be checking off a box so that we can go do what we're going to do. We're expecting an answer. We're expecting to receive of you today. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Not arrogantly, not boldly, confidently, standing on the promises that you've given us that we will receive of you. We worship and we praise you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for all that we will receive here today. We give you glory and honor. We worship and we praise you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Can we clap our hands to the Lord? Can we worship God and thank Him for what He is about to do here? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship You. We worship You. We worship You. We worship You. Hallelujah, Thou Most High God. You are exalted. You are welcome here. You are needed here. We worship You. We are so thankful for Your presence here today. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated today. Amen. By way of review, last week we talked about the oneness of God. The character of God is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, we see uh, almost from the very beginning that the Lord was establishing this for us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Isaiah 9.6 states this, For unto us a child is born, referring to Jesus Christ. Unto us the Son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Matthew 28:19 speaks of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and baptizing in the name of each. Well, you know what the name for all three is. Now we who have received the revelation of the one, oneness of God, this is easy for us to see in Scripture. However... If you peruse, if you go through all the scriptures relating to the character of God, it can get a little confusing. It's not so cut and dried when you examine all the scriptures associated with the nature of God. This and many other doctrines have been debated among Christians for a very long time for that very reason. Now, don't worry, I'm, I'm a oneness person. I believe in the oneness of God. But when you look at each and every scripture that relates to that, I can see why some people can get confused on that. This goes all the way back to the, almost the very beginning. Now, the oneness of God wasn't debated in the first century church. It was never uh, criticized or condemned at all. Uh, that didn't happen until uh, right around the time of the Council of Nicaea. A little bit before that, but... Uh, and I, Getting ready for this lesson, I, I looked over that again, and it's, it's very interesting, and I didn't see this before. The debate, really, in its essence, it wasn't between one God and the Trinity. That's not what the debate was about. The debate was between primarily two people, Arius. He taught that Jesus was higher than humans, but subordinate to the Father. He was kind of like a, a, a demigod. He wasn't, he wasn't full God. That was the teachings of Arius. And then Athanasius, he taught the basic concepts of the Trinity, but he really only focused on God the Father and God the Son. Uh, poor Holy Ghost, that didn't really have a full play in it until later. 
the rest of the the rest of the assembly though they didn't really know which way to side they they didn't really it seems to me have a full grasp of really what was going on uh, but they ended up siding with Athanasius because at least he would defend the full deity of Jesus which they agreed with so they decided to go with the Trinity and there was some pressure by the the, the current emperor uh, Constantine which by the way uh, made a political decision this wasn't a, this wasn't a conversion thing this was a political decision to, to unite the empire to get peace <clears throat> but even after the Council of Nicaea, the debate was still going on. People still disagreed with it. And so they had another council, the Council of Constantinople, several decades later. And that was supposed to settle the debate once and for all. That's where the, the doctrine of the Trinity was actually codified. But the debate still rages today. It's a revelation. It's a revelation that needs to be received. Amen. And that gets back to, to what I have always been taught and what I, I believe with all my heart. Truth needs to be revealed. We are not capable on our own of discovering truth. We can discover truths about nature and laws and all that stuff, but when it comes to foundational truth, that needs to be revealed, folks. It needs to be revealed to us by the one who has truth, Jesus Christ. Our, our daily devotions. If the impotent man would have received his healing in the usual way, it's quite possible no one would have really paid him any mind. Wouldn't have cared at all. But because it was out of the ordinary, it was from an area different than normal, different than expected, and from someone who was at best suspect, they had all kinds of reasons why this miracle was not legitimate. Why it was wrong and it was an affront to God. Someone got healed. Someone's misery was, was completely taken away. But all they could say was, it's not lawful to carry your bed on the Sabbath. Now, again... I like to try to put myself in their shoes. Why would they respond that way? Because I can't, I can't grasp being in that place. If I go into a hospital and someone, someone gets healed of cancer, their pain is gone. They're going to they're gonna live a full life now. And all I can do is criticize how it happened. Where do you have to be to, to, to be in a place like that? But... Here's my take on it. Why would they respond this way? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they understood the history of Israel. They knew that they were coming out of centuries of rebellion and idolatry. Right? That was their history, folks. A few spurts of, of obedience, a few spurts of blessing, but for the most part, rebellion, idolatry. They remember the diaspora, God forcibly removing them from the promised land and into a place of captivity because of that rebellion and that idolatry. They remember the return to Jerusalem, their struggle to rebuild the ruins, the temple, the walls of Jerusalem. 
Their behavior was finally corrected at that point. They never again struggled with idolatry. But they overcorrected, didn't they? One guy said that there's a ditch on both sides of the road. They just went into the other ditch. They fell into legalism. They were not going to they were not going to go through that again. They are going to take every precaution necessary to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And so they overcorrected the other way. That, of course, leads to legalism, obedience out of fear rather than love. We see that in the early history of the nation of Israel. When they were gathered around Mount Sinai, Moses told them, set a boundary. I want them to approach, but only up to this point. And I will come and I'll meet with them. And he did. And thunderings and lightnings and smoke. The mountain quaked. And the Bible says that they withdrew. They withdrew. And when Moses finally came back and he said, you speak with us, that's fine, but don't let God speak with us. They didn't fear God reverently. They were terrified. Maybe there was a good reason they were terrified, but I don't know. But they were, they were terrified. Their relationship with God was one of fear. Not love. Not reverence. Not respect. Fear. That doesn't last, folks. And we see that. We see that in, in their history. Day one. The impotent man possibly thought Jesus was referring to the pool and not to Jesus himself when Jesus asked him if he'd like to be made whole. Jesus was, I'll take care of it. The man may have thought, yeah, I want the healing, but I can't get to the pool. Thus the excuse. Shame and guilt will very often cause us to come up with excuses, rationalizations why we can't do something. Skin stretched over a lie, Brother McGinnis says. Or why we're in the condition we are. Well, I'm this way because of not me, because of my wife, because of my kids, because of my job, because of my parents, because of the government. And certainly those things have varying amounts of input into our lives, but at the end of the day, folks, where I am is entirely up to me. It's my choice. I have no one to blame but myself. That's a... That can be scary for people, but I look at it as a very positive thing. Because now, now I'm empowered to do something about it. I don't have to wait for the government to fix itself, or, or my spouse to fix herself, or the kids to get right. I can take action right now. I can start making different choices now. And get to where I want to be. Jesus was asked if he'd like a miracle from God not from the expected. I phrased that all wrong. Jesus was asking the individual, do you want a miracle from God? Do you want a miracle from me? Something out of the ordinary. Something you're not expecting. Something no one's expecting. 
This is the typical way things get done around here. People go into the pool and they get healed. You want something out of the ordinary. As children of God, we don't need to fall into the practice of making excuses. I know our, our old nature gets the better of us from time to time, and, and we're tempted at least to make excuses for our behavior. Or, well, I'm German. Well, I'm a redhead. That's why, I, that's why I get angry all the time. No, you get angry all the time because you haven't crucified your flesh. You get angry all the time because you're struggling with that. You don't need to struggle with that. God's given you victory over anger, men especially. God's given you victory over anger. Over fear. Again, we've got to remember who we are in God. We don't have to succumb to the, the recourse of making excuses. There are no excuses to be made. Because we have the power and we have the authority to do something about it. We are where we are. If you don't like where you are, it's because you made poor choices. I mean, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm just a messenger. Blame God. Yeah, yeah. Don't kill me. (laughs) But that's a good thing, folks, because... Make different choices. It's never too late. God can fix everything. God can take care of everything. So stop making excuses and start making decisions that will move you forward in the plan of God and discipline yourself to follow through with those decisions. Amen. I mean, our men's group. Wow, we had a great men's group yesterday. We had a huge turnout. I was so happy to see everyone that turned out. God bless you guys. We had a great time. Uh, but something that was said in that meeting was that, you know, lofty goals, lofty dreams, they're not enough. Having an earnest desire to do something isn't enough. I'm glad you're excited about it, but now I got to actually start making steps toward that. I got to put a plan in place. I got to do something and I've got to keep doing something until I get there. We all start strong. I'm notorious for this. My wife will tell you. I get excited about stuff, and man, let's go, 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 go. And a week later, can we start something new? Because this is boring now. <laughs> and i got to push through that. i got to push through that. I'm better, right? I'm better than I used to be. I'm not going to look at what she's saying right now. I think I'm better. I got, I got a ways to go, but I'm preaching to me too. You got to discipline yourself every day to follow through with that decision. Even making the decision doesn't matter if I if I don't keep walking forward in it. Then you're just making another decision, countering the first one. So stop making excuses and start making decisions. Discipline yourself to follow through with them. Amen. Now how? The opposite of that, you don't need any discipline at all. You don't need a plan of action to go where the enemy's taking us. Saying any dead fish can float downstream, that's easy. Here's, here's what you do. 
Just follow your heart. Just follow your emotions. Listen to what they're telling you. You'll, uh, you'll end up in a place you don't want to be. Don't follow your heart, folks. Don't listen to your, your emotions are real. They are. They're given to us for a reason. But they don't make good plans. They don't make good decisions. Discipline yourself. Do the things you don't feel like doing. Do the things that you don't want to do, but you know you need to do. Do those things. And you will end up exactly where you want to be. Day two. When Jesus tells us something, it always aligns perfectly with his word. Even when it seems like it doesn't. That can't be God. He wouldn't tell me to do that. Because we all know God wants me to be happy. That's his primary concern, isn't it? My happiness. Yeah, no. Not at all. No, my salvation is his primary concern. My happiness, if it falls on the table at all, it's way down there. I'm not sure it's even on there at all. Joy, absolutely. Peace, you bet. Happiness, that's... I guess it depends on how you define the word. But uh, in any case, when we encounter something, the Lord is telling us something. We see something in Scripture, and we're not, eh, what? Really? The temptation is to redefine Scripture. Well, let's get into the original Greek. Let's get into the original Hebrew, and let's see what this is really trying to say. Let's find a translation I like that will tell me what I'm wanting to hear here. No. Maybe, just maybe, it's me that needs to change. It's my understanding that needs to change. Folks, in many cases, when we're confused with Scripture, it's because we disagree with Scripture. The scripture is pretty straightforward in most areas. It speaks very plainly. And I... Amused maybe isn't the right word, but I'll go with it. I'm amused sometimes at people's confusion at very basic things, very basic scriptures. Can you explain that again, why that is? Can I don't understand. No, you understand. You know exactly what it's saying. You just disagree with it. So, I mean, that's something different entirely. There's nothing I could do with that. <clears throat> there, was a, there was a statement in the, the book that says, We never attend church because we assume God would be angry with us since Christians are always angry with us. I hope and I pray that in my life, that I'm not like that. Now, we're angry with sin. We're angry about what sin does. We hate sin. But love the sinner. I started using that with my dad. <laughs> hate the sin but love the sinner? 
not amused. Kind of like what you guys just did right now. Nothing. <laughs> Do we demonstrate Christ to those around us? Do we accurately and properly reflect his nature? Now, this applies to, between us as well, with our brothers and sisters. Do I demonstrate Jesus to you guys? Do you demonstrate Jesus to me? We need to be demonstrating Jesus, not just talking about him. We need to show him. Amen. Day three, the fact of eternal judgment in the next life ought to motivate us to be concerned with the salvation of the lost and not with petty infighting and bickering amongst ourselves. Nitpicking on how we do this or that or how we ought not to do this and need to do that, etc. Folks, there are bigger battles. There are bigger fish to fry. Let's unite. Let's come together as one and win this city. Let's advance the kingdom of God as one body. Every one of us have an important part to play in God's plan for our city. And I know. I know because I've been there. You don't always feel like it. You can't always see it. I acknowledge that. You don't always feel like it. You can't always see it. But it's still true. It's true whether it feels like it or not. It's true whether I see it or not. And again, this goes back to remembering who we are in God. Folks, this is so important for us to to grasp, to understand to possess, to own, to start walking forward in who we are in God. We are not beggars. We're not paupers. We're not weak and, 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 and whatever. We're children of God. We are children of God. We sit at His table, the King's table. We're not outside the wall anymore, folks. We sit at the king's table and we eat his meat. We're not living on, we're not subsisting on scraps. We're feasting with him. Everything we have need of is provided for us. We're royalty. I don't care if you feel like it. You're royalty. I don't care if you even believe it right now. It's still true. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you're baptized in Jesus' name, you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are His child. He has adopted you into His family. All I'm saying is let's start living like it. As if it is true. Because it is true. Day four. I've got to move on. We're witnesses of Jesus Christ. What He has done in our lives, what He said in His Word. We're empowered to do so. To be His witnesses to be his legal representatives as to what he has done, what he is doing, what he wants to do in this world. Day five, students writing, student writing with the wrong hand because that's the hand the teacher was using to write. thought that was interesting. We can know something but fail to do it correctly. Again, going back to we see a scripture we don't necessarily agree with, we don't understand it. Are there scriptures we know but fail to live out fully? All right, lesson today, feeding a city with a sack lunch. John chapter 6, starting with verse 1, is where we'll find our scripture text. John chapter 6, starting with verse 1. 
After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men which had seen the miracle that Jesus did said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Amen. When the family pulled into the parking lot, they hoped there would be more empty seats inside than there were empty parking spaces outside. The parking lot was packed. Surely the reception hall would be as well. Hoping the hosts had catered enough for everyone, they walked toward the door and smiled at a few familiar faces. The greeters offered to take their coats so they would not be in the way or dragging the floor off the back of chairs. The hospitality was first class. Although the orchestra played softly, the family could still hear the din of plates and pans from the other side of the closed but oft-swinging kitchen door. They couldn't quite smell dinner cooking, but maybe they were coming down with a cold. It was winter after all. As the ushers led them to their seats, they looked around to see the hall was packed with people, just like the parking lot was packed with parked cars. They had not eaten for a few hours because the father told everyone to save their appetite for tonight. He knew they would eat, and they had eaten well at this reception. The hosts were abundantly gracious people, and they were wealthy. This meal would be one of the best they would enjoy for some time. As the servers came by to pour more water, tea, and coffee, the family munched on the soft mints, professionally presented just atop the centerpiece, But that did not appease their hunger. It just made them hungrier. Soon they could hear quite the commotion coming from the kitchen. A few apron servers rushed out the doors toward the parking lot, but they came back inside shaking their heads. They appeared to be looking for something or someone, but they did not find what or whom they were looking for. Two chefs, complete with chef's hats and black and white pinstriped aprons, came out of the kitchen into the reception area with worried looks on their faces. They tried to be discreet but it was obvious they were counting the guests. What was happening? Did they not plan for this many guests? Family had never been in a setting with so much pomp and circumstance, yet apparently so little preparation. The event center had hosted events before, but never on this scale. The worry on the faces and in the body language of the chefs and servers was clear. One of the servers hurried to the man with a microphone and whispered something to him. Soon all the kitchen staff reassembled back in the kitchen. The master of ceremonies announced calmly, Dinner is served. The chef emerged again from the kitchen carrying a stainless serving platter. He placed it carefully on the food table, lifted the dome, and everyone gasped. There was one lonely Lunchable on the serving platter. The master of ceremony swallowed hard and spoke softly. Enjoy. So Jesus 
He's being followed by this crowd of right around 5,000 people. And the disciples were posed a question by Jesus about the needs of the crowd. They need sustenance. They have a legitimate need to eat. The disciples immediately figured, well, then let them get something to eat. Doesn't stop them. They can go into town and grab a bite, come back if they want. They can do that. Jesus, however, took this responsibility upon himself. He would feed them. So he asks Philip. Philip starts crunching numbers, trying to make the math work. He can't. He's counting thousands of people. And we don't have enough money to buy for this group. 200 penny worth wouldn't be enough. That was about eight months' wages. That wouldn't be enough. And I didn't invite all these people here. How did they even know we were here? Andrew, he took him a step further. He found a guy with five barley loaves and two small fishes. All right, Andrew. Andrew gets it. Andrew's good. He's expecting something. But then he says, but what are they among so many? Andrew was so close. He almost had it. And barley loaves. Barley loaves. Reserved for the poorest of the poor. Only the poor folk ate barley. The disciples certainly didn't have eight months worth of pay saved up. They'd been following Jesus for the last eight months. They just poor Pentecostal preachers. That's all they is. They ain't got no money. But what they did have was five barley loaves, two small fishes, and a whole lot of dough. But although the disciples were worried about the situation, there was one person that was decidedly not worried at all. That was, of course, Jesus Christ. He wasn't worried. Concerned? Concerned for their needs? Yeah. Yeah. Did he care? Absolutely he cared. But he wasn't worried. He wasn't stressed. Why? Because he knows he can meet the need. That's why. Why ought we not be stressed? Because we know he can meet the need. That's why we don't have to worry. We don't have to stress. Concern for needs? Yeah. Care about them? Yeah. I want the needs met. I want, I want to take care of my responsibilities. But I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to stress about it. <clears throat> Andrew presents this sad little lunchable to Jesus. And Jesus take it, takes action. Make the men sit down. Jesus gives thanks for the food they've received. When he gives thanks, he doesn't mention what they don't have. I wish we had this, but thank you at least for what we do have. <clears throat> he thanks for what the Lord provided. As we ought to be thankful for what the Lord has provided. We need to learn therewith to be content. Content with what we have. I have no problem with someone wanting to better their position, improve themselves. Not at all. I do that. I want to improve myself. But the things that I possess and don't possess, 
is really irrelevant. I don't need anything to get to heaven. I don't need stuff. I don't need stuff to serve God. Everything I need, God will provide. We can be content with what we have. Thankful for what he has given. Does God know what we have need of? Matthew 6, 8 says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. He already knows what you need, even before you ask. And I'm going to read through this too, because I think it will be profitable for us. Jumping down to verse 24, Matthew 6. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Yeah, but i got, I got to clothe myself. i gotta get, I got to get a house. i got to have a job. Shouldn't I care about that? Yeah, care about it. But don't worry about it. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, which of you, by worrying about it, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider that. That's really what they're saying. Why are you worried about raiment? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Jesus has the power to suspend the very laws of nature he wrote and put into place. And he demonstrates that with this miracle. I don't know if uh, everyone realizes exactly what took place here. He created matter out of nothing. He didn't just transform what was already there. He created it out of nothing. that got my scientific mind working because I'm aware of some formulas and I worked those formulas out and I came up with a pretty awesome uh, answer here. The first law of thermodynamics states that energy can be neither created nor destroyed, just converted from one form to another. There's a famous equation, Albert Einstein, E equals MC squared. This isn't a science lesson, don't worry. I'm going to get back to the glory of God here in just a moment. Matter and energy are interchangeable. You can't create or destroy either one. They simply change forms. We know that with the nuclear bomb. A little bit of matter can create a whole bunch of energy. That's using this formula. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. How much energy is wrapped up in normal matter? A whole bunch. If you can get to it. So how much energy would it take to create matter out of nothing? How much energy would it take? That was the question I had. And so, I worked it out. I'm assuming 
very small, 100 pounds of food. It was a whole lot more than that. 5,000 people, come on. A few teenagers can take care of that. 5,000 people. I'm going real low, 100 pounds. I came up with 3.51 to 10 to the 11th power joules. I'll put it in perspective. Considering 100 pounds of matter, the equivalent energy is 66,000 nuclear bombs of the ones that were dropped on Nagasaki. Just to create 100 pounds, that would be the equivalent energy of releasing 66,000 nuclear bombs. And Jesus just spoke it. He just did it. No problem. How much energy would it create? How much energy would it take to create everything? That's the God that we serve, folks. And that's the God that we're trusting in to provide our needs. Can we do that? Can we trust in him? I think we can. I think he's able. God can create anything out of your nothing. God can create excess in your lack. God can create victory in your failure. He can do whatever it is you need him to do. Whatever it is he wants to do in your life, he can do. But folks, we've got to release him. We've got to trust in him. We've got to believe in him. Our faith and our confidence has to be in God. Amen. God could have done this all on his own, but he chose to enlist others, didn't he? Andrew was the one that looked around to see what was available. Andrew was the one that brought the food to Jesus. A lad had to choose to offer up his lunch so that others might have something to eat. The disciples helped organize the crowd, passed the food out, and then they collected what was left over. God can do anything he wants, but he chooses to involve us, whatever he's desiring to do. He told Noah to build an ark, and he told Noah to tell everyone about it. God didn't need Noah to do that. But he used Noah to do that. He told Moses to take up an offering among the people so his tabernacle could be built. Couldn't he just create something out of nothing? He could have, but he didn't. He involved the people. He told Paul to see one Ananias, and he would tell him what needs to be. We're talking right now, God. We're talking right now. Can't you just tell me what I need to do? No. Go to Ananias. He'll tell you what to do. He involves people. He told Cornelius to send for Peter. He'd tell him what he needs to do. I'm still listening to you, God. You can tell me right now. No. Peter's the one that's going to tell you what to do. He operates through us because we're his body. Well, the multitude responded to this miracle. John 6:14 Then those men which they had seen when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did said this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world He's the prophet the prophet's prophesied would be coming I can't say that anymore The crowd's response made sense knowing knowing what Jesus did who they thought he was and they were right why wouldn't they make him king? 
Why wouldn't they want to make him king? If Jesus could do this miracle, what else was he capable of? He could wage war against the Romans. He could win our independence back. We could be a sovereign nation again. This guy could definitely do it. They were so confident in Jesus, they were willing to risk their lives in treasonously declaring Jesus king instead of Caesar. Think about that. If it was in their hearts and in their minds to make him king, that was treason, folks. That was crucifixion. That wasn't, that wasn't just a needle. That was crucifixion. They would have been made an example of, but they were willing to risk that. So confident they were that this was the guy. John 6.15 says, Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. He departed again into a mountain, himself alone. Because that wasn't his purpose. That wasn't his purpose. Deuteronomy 18.18 says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and they shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. They were right about the identity of this man. But they had his mission way wrong. Jesus' mission is more accurately summed up in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. His purpose hasn't changed. He's still seeking. He's still saving that which was lost. Jesus can empty every hospital and fill every bank account. He can meet every need. But his overarching purpose is to bring us salvation, everlasting life. If our salvation isn't secure, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. That's why we don't talk about things like standards and holiness before they get saved. What does it matter if they're dressed to the, wrapped in burlap sacks, head to toe? What difference will it make if they're not saved? None at all. What difference does it make if they receive a healing? They receive a financial blessing. It doesn't matter at all if they're not right with God. Now, if that will lead them into a relationship with God, that's awesome. And that is one of the purposes God does miracles and signs and wonders. To lead them to salvation. Now, you know that I am a big proponent of divine healing, divine miracles, all of that. I believe in it. I preach it and teach it. However, those that Jesus fed that day, they're dead today. Every person that Jesus healed in his earthly ministry is dead today. Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, he eventually succumbed to death He's not alive today. So, we need to keep that in mind as well. If I receive my healing, fantastic. I'm going to praise God for it. If I don't receive my healing, fantastic. I'm going to praise God anyway. Because, worst case scenario, one day I will receive my healing. One day, every sickness is going to be healed. 
every maimed body is going to be made whole. All tears will be wiped away. Pain will be gone. Death will be no more. One day. But what matters here and now is that I'm right with God. That I'm ready for that day. I'm ready for that day. Revelation 4, 10 and 11 says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Why will we, why will we crown Jesus King? Why do we worship Him now? Because of what He's done? Because of what He's doing? Well, actually, yes. But that shouldn't be the only reason. I do worship him for his mighty acts. I do worship him for the great things he's done. But if he doesn't do anything for me, I still worship him because of who he is. Who he is. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's God incarnate. He's God almighty. The everlasting father. He's God. And because of who he is. He is inherently worthy to receive all worship and all praise. I don't worship him simply for the loaves and the fishes. Many did in the ministry of Jesus Christ. They followed him, hoping to be a part of that next miracle, hoping to get something. It's very interesting to me that as soon as Jesus kind of switched that around a little bit and started teaching them. Started teaching them hard things. Fun time's over. We're gone. We're out of here. We see that in people's lives today. As long as the services are hopping, as long as the presence of God is powerful, as long as God's doing for me, man, I'm all in. I love you, Jesus. But when God withdraws just a little bit, just to see. The first time God did that to me, it scared me to death. It freaked me out. I was feeling God so powerfully in services and prayer. And then all of a sudden, I come in and it's dead. Everyone else seems to be feeling stuff. I'm not feeling anything. I go to the prayer room, nothing. It's like I'm reading out of a book. I'm like, what in the world's going on? Did I do something? So I asked my pastor about it. And he told me, it's a test. It's a test. And it was a test. Am I serving him for that feeling? Am I serving him for the goosebumps, the the Pentecostal fix? Or am I serving him for something deeper? Am I going to serve him? If he pulls completely away, am I going to serve him if he doesn't do anything else for me? And I decided, yes. Yes, I am. It didn't take too long, and the test was over. He came back powerfully. But he'll do that from time to time. I don't want to get into a place where I'm serving him for what he does for me. 
He's done for me already. He saved me. He transformed me. He gave me a fresh start. He gave me hope, peace, joy. And I'm going to sit and kick and scream and moan and complain because I missed a paycheck. I'm not eating steak every night. Lord, have mercy. He doesn't owe me steak. He doesn't owe me anything. I owe him everything. Whatever he decides to do, that's great. That's fantastic. As long as I know it's from him, I'm good. I'm good. I trust him. He's built a relationship with me. I built a relationship with him. I trust him. When he does something that seems off, seems weird, I trust him. It's going to work out. It's going to be great. At the end of this, whatever this is, something awesome's going to happen. Cuz it's from God. It's from God. He doesn't have to do for us, folks. He does. He delights to. Don't get me wrong. He delights to do great things for us, to meet our needs, to spend time with us, his presence powerfully resonating with us. But if he doesn't do any of those things anymore, we still serve him. We still love him. We still worship him. Nothing changes. I serve him with the same fervor. I pursue him in prayer with the same zeal. Because I love him and I worship him and I serve him because of who he is. Not for what he's done. In conclusion, when Jesus realized the people were going to try to take him by force and make him king, he left the crowd as he instructed his disciples to board a boat. He would meet up with them after he climbed another mountain to pray. Perhaps... As Jesus walked up that mountain, his mind looked ahead three years to another mountain he would climb. That future mountain he knew he would climb since the day he called out into the darkness, let there be light, and there was light. The mountain where he would call out into even deeper darkness, it is finished. And it was. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we worship you, not simply because of the things that you've done, and you've done wondrously, you've done gloriously and miraculously in our lives. We are so thankful for each and every blessing that you've poured out so freely upon us. But even if those cease, even if we receive nothing else from you, Lord, we worship you because you're mighty and because you're glorious and because you're wondrous and because you're God. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're the one that sits upon the throne. We give glory and honor unto you, thou most high God. I pray, Lord, that you'd continue to be with us the remainder of these services. Bless your people, I pray. Work wondrously in their lives. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.